Listen in. Thanks for doing just that. Music, music has some sort of magical, maybe mystical thing happening, and I couldn't be more sucked in. I love it. You see, I want to live life better, unless I'm in some sort of funk and all I want to do is wallow. Songs, artists, musicians, lyrics—they help me in all sides of life. They're like lifts in my shoes. I walk a little taller. My shoulders are on my back. Yeah. Bring on life. Bring it completely on. Bring on life. So I'm full of questions and I listen in. Luckily or hopefully, I travel with a recorder and open SM58 microphones. You've got questions. I've got more. I'm Frank Jenks. I began listening with a syndicated radio program, interspersing conversation pieces with songs and subject matter. And now, I just want to offer this fullness, the greatness, the insight directly from rock stars to you this way. Haven't met a man before or since who cared as deeply as Walter Trout. Something inside of him that the road should have squashed remains. He remains committed to his craft. He remains hopeful. He remains filled with soul. He remains a man who still sees the world and thinks music can heal it, can heal us. Try to argue with that. This was recorded in Auburn Hills, Michigan on March 24th, 2011. So I'm thinking about the blues, right? And I'm thinking about how important blues... I've had people say, if it wasn't for blues music, I wouldn't listen to anything. And I, I, why, why is blues so important? I mean, it's because typically, right, it, it deals with the struggles in life. And we're all trying to struggle less. Yet there's something that connects. Well, first, I'm not exactly sure even when you're saying that I still try to define what blues music is, and I don't yeah. really know. Yeah. I, I don't really consider myself, in quotes, a strict blues guy. Yeah. I, I think I come from that. I think I'm aware of that tradition, and I studied it and immersed myself in it. Yeah. And I played with some of the greatest practitioners. Yeah of strictly blues music, John Lee Hooker, Big Mama, Percy Mayfield, Lowell Folsom, yeah. Pee Wee Creighton. But um, I also think I, I kind of, in my own music, try to add some influences of other music, um, American roots forms, maybe some forms you could say that came out of the blues. Yeah. Um, rock and roll, gospel, which really came out of the church. Um, um, a little bit of country music, um, which is really came out of, um, you know, um, the sort of English and Scottish and Irish European folk songs that developed into country music. But um, as far as the... Th what people relate to with it i think it's about common struggles that everybody goes through um you know donald trump may have a billions of dollars here but he's not immune to having a broken heart 
you know, and um, nobody's immune to that, the problems of of love. Um, I know a lot of the old blues tunes deal with just trying to make it through life, even financially. Yeah. And I, I write a lot of songs of, um, where I'm trying to sort of support the American working man, who I believe is under an incredible attack yeah. this day and age, which I don't understand why people even put up with the working man being attacked. But um, I think that's really what people latch on to in the lyrics of, of blues tunes, you know. Um, yeah. I When I started writing songs... Um, years ago um, I, I had a few tunes I had written and I had a girlfriend at the time who's still a friend of mine and, and she said to me one day when I was sitting around with a guitar and trying to write a song and at the time I had a I was still really struggling I had a day job um, I painted the little black lines on my micrometers and I made really? it, I made wow. um, if it was a large micrometer knob I made a quarter if it was a smaller one I made a nickel and wow. we had this little apartment that was the floor was covered with these knobs where the paint was drying and um, and I played at night and uh, I was trying to write songs and she said hey Walter Every blues song has one of two themes. And if you want to do something different, stay away from those themes. Hmm. And I said, okay, my dear, what, what are those themes? And she said, theme number one, my baby left me and I'm bummed out. Theme number two, I'll buy you a Cadillac if you'll sit on my face. <laughs> So I have. <laughs> You've steered clear of those. I've two. tried to steer clear of those two themes, and uh, I pretty much you're not going to find a "My Baby Left Me and I'm Bummed Out" song in my right. entire lexicon. Although I do, um, I do, and have recorded some old classic yeah. blues tunes that have them in there. But 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 isn't that what the working man sometimes is so busy and so so determined to make ends that. If they're in a pissy place, whatever, girlfriend left them or they just want them to sit on their face. That's all they want, right? Sure. I mean, because it's that and, you know, some more reruns from Seinfeld or whatever, you know, and it's just like, I just want to get to, I want to be able to get to sleep tonight mm -hmm. with some minimal pleasure, if not maximum heartache, mm -hmm. you know, so I can get up in the morning and do the same dang thing all over again. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I don't know if that's why, if that's why, I, I just wonder if we're, it's somebody, I saw an interview or something, somebody said, well, you know, we're meant to struggle in this life. Well, yeah. We're, but we're meant to, I mean, or, well, I, that's what I'm trying to life struggle with. To you me, know? I, you know, um, life is struggle and uh, everybody is fighting the good fight in their life, but that doesn't mean that it makes it any easier to yeah. go through. Um, I, I think it's um, almost 
everybody's being tested. Now, granted, the struggle would be a lot easier if instead of struggling to feed your baby and get money to pay your rent, if you were a billionaire and your struggle was a little different. Right. You know, right. but but nobody um, is immune yeah. to broken heart or heartache yeah. or, um, or self-doubt or... Yeah. I, I think if you see that movie, The King's Speech, yeah, that so. one of the reasons that people have kind of latched on to that is here's a guy who has everything. Right. He's, he's in the r- royalty, right. and he is filled with self-doubt and filled with lack of confidence and um, wondering where he fits in and all the material pleasures of the world and all the the grand titles that he can have are not really doing anything for that guy yeah he doesn't feel like he belongs there and um he's got this incredible deep um emotional battle going on inside of him you know do you feel like you've found a place where you belong now or are you still searching for that place well, I, I found a place where I belong years and years ago when I discovered music. I knew I belonged in mm. in playing music, and I believed that um, from an early age, I believed that playing music for people was a noble calling and that you could change lives and you could make people's lives easier. You know, I came from a really, really um, insane childhood Hmm. and um, dysfunction, abuse, violence, you name it. It was all a part of what I went through. And um, I found at a really early age that by playing music, I could um, transform my life and I could escape the boundaries of the insanity that I was being surrounded with. I could go somewhere else. And if I could do that for myself by playing music, I knew I could maybe do that for somebody else. And I knew that when I heard, when I was a little kid and I was 10 and I heard the songs of Bob Dylan, for instance, and they meant so much to me and I felt like he could change me as a person. And I also learned at an early age through my parents who were um, working people, but who were incredibly hip and um, artistic and who, Um, took me to see Shakespeare and took me to art museums and took me to see great jazz musicians and um, took me to hang out with Duke Ellington when I was 10. Um, That art could change people's lives. And to be an artist, I always believed was a noble calling. Um, I didn't look at it as I want to go be a star and Um, wear spandex pants and make a lot of money. I wanted to try to, um, in some small way, produce something of beauty that would um, move someone or mean something to them. 
So, so did you, inside, did you escape the insanity? Well, it, I certainly found a therapeutic way of dealing with it, and I feel like if I had not discovered guitar at age 10, um, there's a good chance I'd sort of be, you know, in a nut house now, or I'd be in jail now, or I'd, I don't know where I'd be. Yeah. But it gave me a focus, it gave me a, uh, a path, and it um, provided me with refuge and warmth and beauty in a, a world insane, you know? From playing the guitar, what about music that you heard on the radio at the time? Did same that, thing. Same, okay. Yeah. Same so e thing. either or both inspired each yeah. other. You, you talk about all the things that you did as a child because your parents were working people, mm -hmm. yet they they immersed you in the artistic world, right? Yeah. Wow. I'm thinking, wow, you were you had the best of both worlds. Wait a minute. You just described it as insanity. What, what well, was so insane uh, it was about insanity. that? insanity. It's not something I really feel like discussing. I, I wrote a song about it called Collingswood, and mm -hmm. if you look at the lyrics of that song, you might you might uh, find yeah. out, but I came out of, my parents were divorced, they were both remarried. Um, my stepfather had a lot of problems and that's who I lived with and uh, it got pretty crazy. Did you ever try to physically escape, just run away instead of? Oh, many times, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, many times. There were many times I had to physically escape or I'd have been dead. So I jumped off balconies and porches and ran into the forest. I mean, it's not something I really feel like talking about, okay. but it's something that um, that I, you know, it really. Um, let me put it this way: when I was with John Mayall, um, John's wife, one time. Let me go back. I was yeah, okay. playing a show with John Mayall, and my mother came to the show. And John's wife, um, who had a couple little kids with John at the time, went up to my mother and pointed to me and said, what did you do to him? And my mom said, what? And Mrs. Mayall said, whatever you did to him, I want to do to my kids because I think he's full of heart and soul. Wow. And my mother was kind of didn't know what to say. And then later she said to me, a lot of the things that happened to you, Walter, I don't think Mrs. Mayall wants to happen to her kids. Right. You know, so. I'm glad you made it through, man. You know, what, whatever okay. that means, you know what I yeah. mean? Because we all have to make it through something. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, and everybody's story is a little bit different and sure we can evaluate yours as way worse than mine or vice versa or whatever but just making it through that and and having somebody describe me as being full of heart and soul that's what i want on the tombstone right you know what i mean well i mean yeah <laughs> you know i mean it was cool. it was kind of cool and my mother didn't know how to react sure right because she knew she what was kind of dumbfounded when yeah. mrs may all said that but yeah um I think she was also proud of me at the time, you know, yeah. she'd seen her kid come through the ranks and I was playing with one of the top blues acts in the world at that time, you know. Yeah.
so did when you started writing lyrics, right? Collingswood and whatever, was it always um, something that you thought, I need to get this out of me? This needs to come through me so I can... A lot of times, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've always tried to write lyrics at least uh, maybe 80% of the time that come out of my experience or come out of something I believe or something I see happening or something I see my some of my friends going through. I've written songs about... Um, things that have happened to friends of mine or situations they're in or ways that they're handling adversity and um, written a lot of, you know, not all of them are written that way. There are some that are just strictly um, an exercise in writing. Sometimes I just sit down and go, I'm just going to write, you know. And then one time I had writer's block. I was trying to write a CD I had writer's block, and and, uh, I spent days and days, and there was nothing. And finally, I wrote a song called Don't Worry About It If You Don't Have a Thing to Say. And that ended up opening up the writer's block, and that song is on, uh, I think it's Go the Distance. And that was the first song I wrote on that record. When, When was the first time that you wrote a lyric in, I mean, were you 10 and 11, or were you in your 20s when you wrote something you went you know what this this is touching well when i this is something beautiful you know what i mean something when you kind of went i think i've arrived at another level i that started when i the first time i was like truly in love mm. like in high school you know near the end of high school just out of high school and uh my first truly loved girlfriend i started writing songs about her and um one of the songs ended up being a huge giant hit in europe and i built a career in europe on that song um and i wrote that when i was on a 17 or something but um i you know i wrote many many songs about her a couple of them are on my first album the mountain song um on my second album earrings on the table and the love that we once knew both written for her um on my first album frederica written for her so i've recorded probably five of those tunes i wrote when i was in high school and Actually, I listen to them now, and they hold up. Yeah, I, was, I was wondering if you, when you look at them, you go, I wish I would let me. No, no. They, they hold up. And I still, when I play in Europe, I have to play that hit. And when I play the hit, it's, it's remarkable because the, everybody sings it back at me. I just stand there, and they all sing it to me. Yeah, that's got to be cool. There was, in another interview, I heard you say something about when you're in the studio, when you're playing guitar, you're searching um, for feel and honesty. Is that is that what you do with the words too? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm. I mean, even when you were seventeen, writing that to your girlfriend to to now, right? When I was seventeen, those words were raw, right, right out of my gut. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can look them up. A song, earrings on the table. Um, they're on European releases. Um, 
my first album, Life in the Jungle, has been released over here since. There's a song on there called Frederica. Mm-hmm. It's about when we broke up. Mm-hmm. And it's really the word she said to me. She said, I don't need you in my life any longer. And I wrote that song through her. That's her speaking to me. And you gave her co-writing credit, correct? No, I didn't. Come on. <laughs> Are you a fair man or no? I am, but, uh, well, she and I are still friends. As a matter of fact, she is still a dear friend of my current wife I've been with for 20 years, and they go out and they walk at the beach every couple of weeks. Wow. um, Wow. She had me over. um, We went to dinner at her house on my 60th birthday. Wow. I want to stick with uh, feel and honesty. Yeah. Yeah. Is that... Is that as prevalent now? Is it's, it is? To me, it's it's the ultimate quest. Um, I'm I'm not out for um, perfection. It's about feel and it's about honesty. And yeah. with the recording process, it's about um, vibe, honesty, attitude. It's not about let's get this perfect, let's record the drums, and then two weeks later we'll throw the bass, and then a week later we'll put a guitar track. No, you, you get in there and you play the song, and if it's a little out of tune or something, you you don't worry about it. It's yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of guys like Bob Dylan, who it's about the song and the playing, and the, it's not... Like most music today, it's not meant to uh, be dance music on the radio, played to a click track, um, everything uh, mass-produced, you know. It's about humanity. Um, I was telling my wife one day, I think that she always said to me, oh, well, you were always kind of a rebel. And I said, well, I guess you could say for me, my rebellion in my music has been um, to try to portray sincerity in an insincere world. Yeah, because I think we're I think we're slapped in the face every day with insincerity. Whether it's the hotel desk clerk that says, "Hi, how are you?" Yeah, you know. I mean, it's like, and we, and and I'm just as insincere back, right? Mm-hmm. I'm fine. How are you? You know what I mean? Because I've got other things. I mean, we all got a thousand things on our mind. And I just think, when, when do we stop and take time for each other? You know? Mm. And that's... Oh, and it's worse and worse now. I, I find the more we get cyber connected and stuff, the less we're actually connected as people. And, Isn't that crazy? Um, I also find in, in the music that is mass-produced and marketed to young people now by big corporations it's it's complete um pablum you know i yeah now you could say oh, well i'm an old guy and i sound like my parents but my parents didn't look down on my music when i was a teenager they they got it but now you know um if you turn on corporate radio now it's pretty brutal you know and I'm kind of glad I was raised in an era when you had the Beatles and Dylan and Jimi Hendrix and the Temptations and the Four Tops, and you had all this, was actually people singing and playing and trying to say something and yeah. beautiful songs, and it it wasn't uh, 
mass production of widgets, you know? <laughs> well, if it weren't a business, but it is the music business, that's the... Sure, but it doesn't mean you have to throw out any artistic attempt or you have to throw out heart and soul. It doesn't mean that people who are out pushing music, and it doesn't mean that programmers just seem like they have to program um, I don't understand the whole concept. Yeah. I don't understand the concept of what we are going to push on our kids. We're going to find the crappiest stuff we can find. Let's push that new Kim Kardashian single, okay? <laughs> That's what we want our kids to hear. And there's just nothing there, you know? Well, it's just sort of a baseball manager that's doing everything by the numbers. If such and such had so many hits then against a left-hander, then they're going to put that guy up to pinch it no matter what. And I think, well, wait a minute. Well, Kim Kardashian gets X amount of hits on her website and, and through Facebook, and she has so many Twitter followers. I'm going to play it. I mean, it, that's, that's the entire decision. They don't even know what the song sounds like. They have no idea. It's just what's going to get reaction here, you know? I mean... But, but a little bit to their defense, I've talked to a couple program directors when I had a syndicated radio show around this whole thing, and a couple of them were like, you know, your show is so cool because you're doing interviews with artists and whatnot, but honestly, I, I can't play Walter Trout, even if it's on 7 o'clock Sunday morning. I need to play another Led Zeppelin track. Mm -hmm. And you know what, see, Frank? I don't, I don't want to move my family. That was their excuse, literally. I don't want to move but my see, family. I, Sad, isn't it? No, let me but tell true. you. Anyway, go. For, it's, go. it's only true because that's the box they've put themselves in. I'm with you. Yeah. When my first record was released in America in 1998, I had a hit with a song called "Got a Broken Heart" mm -hmm. in St. Louis, Casey, which yep. is a big Huge. rock station. Yep. I became their most requested artist. Yeah, they got more calls requesting that song. They had me come play at their 30th anniversary birthday party with Leonard Skinnerd and Peter Frampton mm. in the Riverport Amphitheater to 14,000 people. Wow. They got behind me and pushed the gig, my first actual St. Louis gig. It's Mississippi Nights. We sold it out. They broadcast it on the radio. Wow. They said to me, now when you have this hit, other rock stations will start picking up on it. And right around that time, they got bought by Clear Channel. Mm -hmm. And Clear Channel said, you're not allowed to play that guy. Mm -hmm. I had a hit already in the town. See, all they do is Major they market. cut their own balls off by doing that. And they got some guy in Minnesota programming 14 cities. Yeah. It, it wasn't like that before. And new artists didn't have so much of a problem getting through. And I know that if I would have had a million dollars and could have gone to that programmer in Minnesota and stuffed some money up his rear end, all of a sudden I'd have gotten played anyway because they do that, you know? They'll still do that. And so it's, they put themselves in that corner. The reason they can't play Walter Trout is not that the music isn't good. It's because they have to... They have to bow down to the corporate gods who are running things, who have no vision, have no idea of, of anything other than Kim Kardashian gets hits on her website. It doesn't matter if she can sing. It doesn't matter if her song sounds like a dog breaking wind. It's Kim <laughs> Kardashian. So they, they just, they're actually cutting their own balls off, you know? 
Back in the early days of MTV in Europe, they came to me and said, we really like what you do, and we are in the business of creating stars. Mm -hmm. So you make us a video, we'll play the video, you'll become a star, we'll keep playing your videos, you give us stuff to play. And they actually created stars like that in yeah. Europe. That's what they did. And I had a massive hit behind it. Yeah. You know? But over here now, you can't even do that. Right. You know? And so I'm just saying, I, I don't yeah. have any sympathy for those program directors because they're under this gigantic corporate thumb and they have to do what they have to do, of course. I'm that, If that's what you're saying, yeah, they have to do what they have to do or they lose their job. But I'm saying it all comes down to that corporate mentality that has taken over this country, not only in its presentation of art, but in its politics and everything. There is no more United States. There is only Exxon, Mobil, and the Koch brothers, and, you know, that's, yeah. that's who runs the country now. So, so when we get our proverbial balls cut off, yeah, really, they're just cutting off our feeling honesty, right? Well, they they're, are in a certain sense, and they're also they're also cutting off the chance to to play something for somebody that they might like, and they might create somebody else that they could play and they could make money off of. Right. Every night, I go out and play, and or I get emails all the time. I just heard you. I love this. How right. come I never heard this before? I heard the song on XM radio, and now I'm going out and buying all right. your CDs. Right. It's just a matter. It's not that this music's bad. Right. You know? So, uh, yeah, I'm just saying yeah. um, that that whole corporate mentality thing is is suffocating, and now they want to get rid of NPR. It, it's mind-blowing to me. I, I guess I just wish it were exclusive to, to radio is what we're talking about right now. But the same the same thing happens, I think, probably in every business, right? Whether, there's the, whether you're selling shoes or whatnot. I mean, somebody is selling their soul, right? They're selling their soul for, I presume, a new boat or yeah. another cottage or whatever it is. Sure. I mean, it's just in, in only a few of them, the Enrons of the world get caught with their pants down and then... We love watching that kind of stuff because finally somebody got their come up and come come up and ready? come up and thank you thank you very yeah. much. But no, I mean, so yeah, yeah, yeah it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah of, course, it's, um, of course. And you know, it, there you have to in this corporate madness that this country is now run by. If you want to discover good music that's being made out there. You have to go out and seek it out, you know. You have to look for it and seek it out through other means. And that's where things like the Internet and stuff are really good. And if, if commercial radio crashes in this country, yeah. I'm to the point where I'll be standing there going, <laughs> you guys did it to yourself. Self-inflicted. You, know, you, you have... You, chopped your nuts off to the point of where you can't even nobody wants to even hear you anymore um the classic rock stations they all play the same hundred songs i'm real tired of hearing goddess don't fear the reaper there's a whole lot more to classic rock than that you know well you know why do you think the the i really believe that that's i'll say 50 percent of the reason the ipod has caught on so huge because i literally 
carry more songs around with me that I like for sure than the classic rock radio station. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, and I don't carry just a few more around. I carry 10 times as many around with yeah, me. Yeah, me too. And and it's, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm just saying the classic rock stations out there that play the same 100 songs over and over and over, where if you listen to KLOS in L.A. every day, it's the same same songs. There is so much more to classic rock than those songs. Why the programmers... um, I mean, there's even songs that were big songs that they don't even play anymore. Um, um, Gary Wright. My love is at my heart's like a wheel that's turning. You don't hear that anymore. You did 10 years ago. Now that one's gone. Uh, they, I mean, it's just they just put it all in this little box with these programmers who I think have no business doing what they're doing. I'm friends with Billy Squire, right? And he's he's made a living off it, right? He has the exact same frustrations as you. Yeah. But he's but in essence, he's a part of it. And if, if you will, I mean, his music is from way back when because it still tests well. Right. Yeah. But every year, I think a few songs test well, because as further we get away from whatever his big hits were from the stroke mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, don't say no or whatever. But I mean, it's just amazing to me. We all have the same frustrations yet. That train keeps going down the track. But I will say there's less cars on it now and there's less people paying attention to it. That's why I'm saying the train's yeah. going down the track, but it's running out of track. <laughs> it's, it's that's run- why that's why, um, you know, satellite radio yeah. caught on when it did. And that's why iPods caught on. And that's why Pandora is catching on um and commercial radio probably in another 10 years is going to be such a minor player in all of this you know they're in their death throes man and they're killing themselves they should try to come up and make it something interesting to listen to and it can be yeah man i don't understand I just don't understand it, you know, why they, you know, we we won't get a sponsor unless we play these same 20 songs over and over. You're playing the same 20 songs over and over, and people are buying iPods, dude, you know. <laughs> hey, the reason that I, that I wanted to do this microphone time with you is because I really, I just caught a real spiritual sense throughout the whole Common Ground release. While, while we're belaboring the problems of the music business, my sense is that when you sit down and write the songs that you wrote on Common Ground, you're, you're getting in touch with something maybe even beyond, beyond, I'll say yourself. Well, you I'm, know? Tr- I'm trying to. Yeah. You know, I, I went pretty deep into myself on that. Yeah. Um, Common Ground, I, I had the, the, the catch line of that. Um, if there's a place where truth can still be found, lead us to the common ground. Right. But I didn't have the word Lord in there. I was trying to write a political song, mm. and I started it um, sort of in the middle of the George W. Bush years, mm-hmm. trying to write a political tune, and I kept trying and trying, and I just couldn't... Um, I just couldn't get it to, t- to take shape. Yeah. And as soon as um, one day I got up, and as soon as um, it it occurred to me that I had to almost get past the politics of it, even though it's concerned with the politics yeah. and the hatred and the people screaming at each other and all that these days. Yeah. Um, 
but that it would be a call for help and, and, and a prayer, um, all of a sudden, boom, it, it took shape in about five minutes. You know? Yeah, to me it is a prayer, right? I mean, It is a prayer set to music. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's one of those sort of cliche sort of thoughts, right? But that's why it's so powerful. Because I think that the, the, whatever the worst person is out there, I think we all are trying to find something to connect with. You know, I mean, you, you spoke earlier about we, we can't connect as much, even though with all this technology and whatnot. But we're looking for somebody else to go, hey, we're, we're at the same table with somebody else. Yeah. And, and how can we make this bigger? Because I do think that we're in this for the good fight, like you said earlier, too. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and wow, to, to, for us to continue to miss that. Yeah. I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, you know, because we scream and shout, and maybe I'm too exposed to media, but we're we all scream at each other and we yell at each other, and then, but where, where do we find this? Because you know, I almost want to just to continue with common ground. I I want I want to have four microphones here, you, me, and two program directors from radio stations say why, how did this happen? Yeah, and, and try to figure out a way through rather than okay, let's rail against again in this in this instance corporate radio, and then we go back to our rooms and our lives and 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 you know make sure we <laughs> have a nice dinner tonight so whatever you know i mean sure. it's just it's crazy well there's only so much you can do on a personal level yeah corporate radio is running itself and it will kill itself and and i'm i'm sort of i have enough to be concerned with in my life to i'm not going to go out and become an activist to try to get right. rid of corporate radio you know <laughs> um the song right after that uh, is danger zone that that to me is still what we're talking about here is the world is so chaotic yeah you know that through all this chaos we're searching for peace every moment and and that is really about when when i'm saying danger zone on there i'm talking about when when you're in this incredible turmoil in your own heart and in your own soul i'm not talking about external mm. influences um, that's another one when I came up with living in a danger zone I was I think I had just watched some movie about um, some guys in the ghetto or something mm-hmm. and some kids and living in the projects or something um, but then it became more of like you could be a guy living in a gated community and the danger zone is in your own heart and soul mm-hmm. you know and it's um, having to deal with your internal demons, of which we all have them, you know. And that's what that song is concerned with, really. See, that's, you know, when I think about, I've had the, I've had this discussion with other folks about, you know, well, this this corporation is just rolling down the tracks and we can't stop it and it's just going to kill itself. But somewhere there is somebody in a gated community struggling with at least i hope they're struggling because when you put your head down on a pillow you better be at some peace with yourself because they know what they're doing right mm-hmm. we all know what we're doing when we're doing the wrong thing as well as we know when we're doing the right thing so i'm wondering is it is it a spiritual um uh war if, if that's the word i'm looking for for not only us but also the people leading these corporations and trying to make x amount of money in x and whatever quarter and whatever i mean it's almost the exact same struggle. I mean, internally, it's the it's that self doubt. Am I doing the right thing? But well, if I do, if I keep doing this thing, another boat, another cottage, and I just think they get sucked up into greed and power and well, yeah, and then the greed but still, and, there's that something that danger zone inside of them that I think is churning mm-hmm. every moment, right? It is the 
maybe the danger zone is um as if for me when i wrote that and came up with that those lyrics that is if i really cuz i i read a lot i read constantly i'm i read a lot of news i look into things i look into history stuff like that and if i um it says i'm overwhelmed by the cruelty that i see if i let myself get too affected by this world mm-hmm. that's when i it, i have to step back and i have to realize that the best thing i can do is to take care of myself and my wife and my kids and try to provide my kids um a a role model to live honestly and and try to teach them about the world and about honesty and about truth and um try to raise them to be maybe better mhm um and i can try to change people's minds a little bit by talking or through lyrics but that um I I can't let myself get incredibly affected by what I see going on around me or I will lose it and I will just not want to be here anymore. You know, I was just talking to a good friend of mine um recently about um things that are going on in this country right now with We want to make sure those billionaires got their tax breaks, but we don't have enough money to keep our school open. Stuff right. like this, yeah. and uh, and he said to me, "I'm to the point where I don't care about anything anymore, and I don't even think I want to be here anymore." It's getting the guy suicidal. Yeah, and there he is. That's the danger zone right there. Yeah, you know, and he said that this was a recent talk with a good friend of mine. Yeah, and. Uh, He said I I'm I'm tired of reading the news. Um this country this is my friend saying this this country's going to self-destruct and I'm to the point where I don't even care they're going to get what they deserve and uh they're all listening to this right-wing propaganda machine and they're all going that this is as far as I'm concerned I don't care anymore. I used to love this place. I don't anymore. I don't even think I want to be here anymore and I I was hard for me to tell the guy I understand your frustration but you can't pack it in and jump off a cliff. Yeah. And he was that's that song right there. Hey there's a a song off the outsider All My Life. Yeah. Right there kind of I mean how rough life is and in the prayer that 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 song is too I think. Mm, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Is that why you wrote that? I mean, not particularly that, for your friend there. That's another but. one about I'm very affected by watching everyday working people trying to get by in this world. Yeah. You know, and how hard they struggle to get through to go and, watch the news of all the catastrophes going on, right? You know. Yeah, But yeah, and, keep going. And yeah. also just how just trying to get through and trying to be able to feed their kids and trying to be able to pay their rent and um you know and and I'm also influenced by it because my wife 
is a Danish citizen. I met her in Denmark. She's mm. still a citizen of that country. And um, that country has a completely different idea of what government should do for its people. And its people are happy. Yeah. They keep testing and being labeled the happiest people in the world, the Danes. And they have one of those governments that takes care of them. They still have incentive to work. They haven't lost their incentive. It's not socialist. The government doesn't control the means of production, which is what big part of socialism. But there is a beautiful safety net. If you lose your job in that country, the government retrains you and gets you another job. If you, if you can qualify to go to college, if you're smart enough to get into college, you go to college for free. They wow. even give you food money while you're in college. It's a whole different approach. And um, wow. so I, you know, and I spend a lot of time over there. We, we, we go over there and we vacation and we hang out with, with my mother-in-law and my wife's in-laws and mm-hmm. stuff. And I see how that system works. And then when I'm over here and I hear this stuff about now every... This country is more and more into, as long as I got mine, golf you. And uh, it's just, it gets upsetting. It didn't used to be that way, you know. Uh, I, I mean to not be short about this question. Why don't you just move to Denmark? Um, I mean, really. I mean, I, your I wife knows can get you around? No. <laughs> you know I, what I mean? I, you know, Happier place? Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Go ahead. No, you know, I, I could. Yeah, I like right. where I live. Yeah, okay. You know, there's no problem with, like Robert Frost said, I'm having a lover's quarrel with the world, right? Well, I'm sort of having a a lover's quarrel with some of the things going on in America. I don't just walk away. Yeah. Um, If you love your wife and she has some problems one day, you don't just uh, say, I'll see you later when you get your fish together. Right. You help, you know. Right. You help. I love that. Hey, talking about the working man, can I go back to working time? Sure. Working overtime? Sorry about that. Yeah. From the Full Circle record, which Jeff Healy played with you on that record, right? On yes. the song. On the song, yeah. Yeah. Talk, again. And he the, had some uh, couple little bits of input into the lyrics, yeah. and uh, we discussed it, you know. I, I just remember getting his, uh, I don't know if it was the first or second record, but he had a song in there called See the Light. Again, could work that right. Was, I, I believe, that his first record. Yeah, I, I want to say it was. But I just remember going, wow, this guy, you know, here's, here's a man who's blind who's talking about a light beyond us, you know, and I thought, wow, what kind of a guy was he? Because I, I was just sad when I heard that he passed away. He was the most... Was he filled with light? Was he that kind yeah, of a guy? He, he, he um, exuded light. Wow. When you talked to him, when he played, he was the, one of the most gracious gentle giving human beings i ever met wow also with an incredible sense of humor um talk about being sincere in an insincere world that guy was sincerity in every word he spoke and every note he played and i i met him when he was a teenager and he was still playing in bars and I played in Canada with John Mayall, and Jeff was our opening act. Mm. And he was a local kid. Really? And uh, 
we became friends at that point he was like 17 and we were friends up until he died Mm. and um you know the typical story i could tell you about him was uh i was in heathrow airport and i was on my way to go somewhere in london and i was in transit and i was on this moving sidewalk okay you know, moving escalator thing. Right. Well, you can't, something you can't get off the, of, right? You can't get off. Right. And I look, and on the moving sidewalk going the opposite direction is Jeff Healy and well. his band. And as he goes by, I yell, Hey, Jeff! And I see his head move, and I go, Hey, it's Walter Trout! <laughs> and he just yelled back, Hey, Walter! You're looking good. <laughs> and then off he went. You know. Oh, I got to love that. Yeah. Yeah, I w- that's that's one of those one of those guys I wish I would have interviewed, right? Yeah. You know, somewhere uh, down he the road. was uh, he was an unbelievable just gracious, one of the most beautiful souls you could have ever met, you know. I hope that came out in his music as much as I you're saying, did, right? You yeah. know what I mean? Because sometimes when you get into that recording process, you know, it kind of gets it gets covered up, at least when I finally get the music in my earbuds many times, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's a whole other yeah. thing. Well, when I recorded that song with him, yeah. I, I videoed the whole thing. I have us hanging out in the studio oh, and wow. talking. I have him um, um, singing and he couldn't read obviously so he'd say okay now let's what's the next this verse i'm gonna sing what's it gonna be and we'd go over the lyrics and he'd go out there and he'd have them in his head and his memory and the first time he kind of forgot and he made up some really nasty dirty risque lyrics and (laughs) sang them like his life depended on it and i have that and we all just fell on the floor man just fell out laughing and uh, it, we had to stop for a good 15 minutes and oh, stop beautiful. laughing that's a beautiful and then thing. he sang these incredibly <laughs> dirty lyrics and we all started laughing and he was very serious and he said you don't think that'll work on this song <laughs> you know great fella great fella i loved yeah. hanging out with him and getting to uh, make that record with him was was just really an honor for me. Yeah. I, I wonder if he's the type of guy that you write about a little bit in Welcome to the Human Race, where you've got all these battles in your life, or life is tough or rough, however you want to put it, but sometime, somehow you've got to sort of accept it. He's got to deal with the blindness. Your friend's got to deal with everything that's going on in the world. some point in time, we have to accept it, don't we? And that's kind of that flippant, dude, welcome to the human race, right? That's it. That's exactly what it is. And um, accepting it is a big part of... <laughs> of right. You don't transcend it, but you... It is possible to be happy in all of this. I, yeah. I talk to my wife every day, and we discuss just how right now in our life with with our beautiful children and my career doing well and we have a nice house and in spite of whatever we go we are so damned happy with our life right now that we don't feel like 
packing up and going anywhere else. I mean, that day might come, but yeah. But um, we're pretty much um, at the best point in our lives for for both of us, she and I. And um, that's a great thing to say. It's it's like. <laughs> We can look around and say, you know, well, here's California, and we live in this affluent community that can't even afford to keep its schools open, and we mm -hmm. have to donate hundreds of dollars to my kid's fourth grade teacher so he can buy pencils and paper for his class. Right. But in spite of this, we are ridiculously happy folks right now, <laughs> you know? And is that a spiritual thing for you? Is that something on the inside that... Because there's plenty of people who have the similar life, let's say, right? But they bitch about it every day. They wake up and they go, another box of Kleenex I have to take to the teacher? Really? You know, and they lay it all on their kids, like, you know. And But yet, where does it come from from you? Is it? Well, it comes from being happy with what we have and realizing how blessed we are to have what we have. And that what... We have a family with a lot of love, you know. Um, me, my wife, my boys, we're a self-contained unit, and um, there's a lot of love in my house. There's not a lot of arguing. There's not a lot of fighting. There's a lot of joy. and uh, Joy. Joy is a good word. And so that, that gives us hope. You know, and it and hope um, gives us joy we're, we're yeah. happy with what we have. It's no longer why can't I why can't I have more success? Why can't we have this? We need a bigger uh, bigger car and all this it We're pretty much no, no, stop, you know, look at what you got. look in, look in your soul, your heart and your soul to go back to that phrase yeah. and think about what you have in your life. You know, I have a friend who um, used to be years ago when I had a little bar band when I was in canned heat and I'd come home and I played in a bar when I was not on tour. And I had a friend who was the bass player in that band and he had an aneurysm in his brain and he almost died and he um, is half paralyzed on half of his body and he um, can't move his arm and he walks with a leg brace and barely gets around and and the state takes care of him and he lives in a garage um, somebody's garage and has lived in that garage for over 20 years and um, he comes to my house we have him over for dinner once in a while and he'll say I was laying in my bed and I could hear the waves breaking because we live in a little beach town, mm -hmm. you know. And he says, and I thought just how beautiful it is to be alive. And, uh, well, you know, this guy. You gotta you know, love that, don't you? So I'm saying, yeah, yeah, it's all in how you look at it, man. Y you know, and you gotta. You, that's what I'm talking about. The danger zone is getting caught up in the negative mm -hmm. and instead of being... It's the old cliche, is it half empty or half full, you know? Or getting caught up like in Loaded Gun, right? Where it's you, you're living in the world of revenge. Yeah, 
Exactly. And Loaded Gun really is about a school shooter. That yeah. that kind of set me off when I wrote that. But it's about anybody that, that just wants to just go out and start shooting innocent people. It's about Gerald, Jared Lee Loeffner and other assholes like that, you know. Yeah, you can. we can talk about, you know, when the whole world feels like it's caving in on us or we see it caving in around us, whether you have suicidal thoughts or something, but... The next step worse is why do you want to take people out with you? Yeah, well, I don't get that. If I you want to go, fathom. take yourself out, go for it, but don't take somebody don't, with you. Yeah, no, no, I don't I, get that, yeah. and especially people that are you, you don't even know, right? I mean, yeah, like like, but there's but that's how I think how our how our society has sort of programmed us is we we need to make our mark, you know, and that's how they think they can make their mark. Yeah, and, and quite honestly, they do. Well, sadly, they do. You if know, that's the kind of mark they want to make, yeah. though. Or, yeah, I went out and I I killed twenty people. It, yeah, I mean, if that's really the kind of mark you want to make, um, I don't know. But that that is to me is is real mental illness, and that's that's what that song is about. Yeah. If you look at the lyrics of that, yeah. You know. Let me go. Let me go to the song right after that. A song for my guitar. I mean, you've talked about friendship, but friendship with something that doesn't have a soul or does it well the guitar that i wrote that song about i believe it does yeah yeah it's a guitar i bought new in 1974 and it was white and it's on the cover of all my cds right when i bought it it was as white as this tablecloth and if you look at it now it's um not half the finishes off it you know and that's from playing it on the road for 35 years and i I don't take it on the road yeah. anymore. It would right. be too much stress. For instance, now we're sitting in a room in a hotel. Stress for um, you, right? Wondering where well, and who. Yeah, 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 I'm right. saying right now the guitar that I have on the road is up in my room. Right. I couldn't relax here and talk to you if that old guitar was up in the room. Wow. You know, so, um, but I, I believe that guitar has my spirit in it. It was with me through um many addictions it was with me through divorce i had some time being homeless where i'd sleep on people's couches and that all i had with me was that guitar um well you know um so it does have a soul yeah it's got my spirit in it and when i used to have it on tour with me and i would um use it and then there might come a song that i'd use a different guitar maybe in an open tuning or something yeah. i'd use a different guitar i'd put that guitar back on and it it was pissed off at me it was angry and it wouldn't allow me to play it right the strings wouldn't bend and the, and it would you know it would feel like the action had gotten real high and it was letting me know i'm pissed off and I would have, I, I know this sounds weird, but to me that guitar is an entity. And, um, and I would play it for a while and kind of caress it till it, it was no longer angry at me and then it would play like, like butter again. And um, you know, I know people think I'm crazy, but that guitar has, has a spirit in it and it's my, yeah. my spirit is in there. And um, so I was, sitting around one night at about 4 a.m. and I was sitting in my living room playing that axe 
And uh, I looked down at it and started thinking about when I bought it. The guy who sold it to me off the shelf in this little music store, um, not long after he sold it to me, he was in a car accident and got killed. And I thought about all the bands that his it has been played in and um, it's been played on stage by Johnny Winter and Mick Taylor and all these other people and um, Harvey Mandel and and just all the years of the divorces and the, the major addictions I went through I went through you name it I was addicted to it and um, and uh, I just started weeping and I wrote that song in probably 10 minutes. Yeah. So it, it wasn't just there with you through divorce and addiction. It, it, it pulled you through it, right? Well, it, was, it gave me an outlet. It gave me therapy. It was refuge, sanctuary, as Quasimodo would scream. Mm. You know, Quasimodo would run into... Uh, Notre Dame and yell sanctuary that's what I would yell when I'd pick up that axe you know it's amazing what the guitar has done for you and I don't mean for for a living I mean for living yeah you know sure I mean from 10 years a 10 years of age on you know it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing no regrets um that looking back sort of exact it's exactly what we've been talking about yeah, right. is um looking back over addictions for instance um i was a let's just as a bit of a story i was a drug counselor in philadelphia when i was 20 i worked in a in a uh clinic run by the national institute of health and um, I, was a tr I was trained at Jefferson University to run group therapy sessions, and I worked with all these hardcore ghetto junkies that would come in out of prison. Wow. And then I did that for a year and had a nervous breakdown over it, moved to California to get back into music and say, music is going to be it now. I, I took some time off, and I was... And then I immediately moved to California and became a heroin addict. You know, I did it backwards. And so I would look back at things like that and write that song and go, well, yeah, you know, it would have been good not to spend three years living on the street in L.A. Right. As, as a junkie trying to score drugs. Um, and, and, you know, I moved out there to play music and ended up as a street junkie. But... Um, but I don't have regrets because I am who I am today. I, I can play and I can write out of those experiences. And I'm, I've come through it. I've been clean and sober for 23 and a half years. And um, so, no, I don't, I don't regret any of it, you know. Do you, do you sense any physical um, problems that you have because of those addictions? Because I, I, I interviewed um, uh, a head from the band Corn. He believes that he thinks slower because of all the drugs he did. I don't think I do. I think yeah. I'm. I think I'm um, lucky. Yeah. What was I saying? <laughs> nice one. 
What was the question? <laughs> nice one. No, I, I'll I, tee him up for you. Uh, you hit him. <laughs> I actually feel, you know, pretty pretty uh, damn lucid for a sixty-year-old guy with my history. You know, and um, I I have friends who went through similar things, and you can see that they're they're damaged. Mm-hmm. I feel very, very lucky and blessed that I don't have some of that, you know. And and if I do, I'm I'm not aware of it, you know. So <laughs> we'll let you know. Yeah. This is part of your uh, this is part of your intervention I mean, starts I with the microphones. I definitely um, came out of it say better than uh, Brian Wilson did, right. you know. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, Eyes of a Child, the song just before that uh, about uh, is it about reaching out to a friend, kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. In 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 the innocence that that maybe we're still trying to find i don't know yeah that's about somebody i met who i i thought i had a rough story to tell about my youth and that person trumped you oh it big time <laughs> yeah i was even embarrassed even trying to <laughs> trying to tell my my story because that person had a story that was mind-boggling so that's yeah. strictly about the conversation where that person told me their the story of their childhood. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with excess baggage then because I think uh, that's what it's all about is sort of letting it all go and excess baggage again is um, turning life around. Turning your life around. It's also carrying carrying regrets carrying weight of um say when you were saying um you wonder if some of the big corporate guys can sleep at night if they can't they're carrying excess baggage and it says it it can get so heavy you just might lose your soul it's it's a symbolic kind of um metaphor for you have to deal with those things i believe and you have to try to live honestly and not have um hidden sides and secrets and you got to be able to look in the mirror and and that was a big big um realization of mine some years ago and that was part of getting sober Hmm. was being able to look in the mirror and say I'm okay. I'm doing the best I can do. I'm not out there trying to screw anybody over. I'm not out there lying to anybody. I'm trying to live a decent, honest life and be a good person. And uh, if you do that, that's about all you can do. You mm-hmm. know. But if you do that, if you go through that self-examination um, where you realize the bad aspects of who you are and you attempt to deal with them and make changes in who you are i think you can be um in quotes a happy person whatever that means you don't have to carry this stuff on your back this Mm -hmm. excess weight on your back that will bend you over and will eventually break your back and kill you you know yeah so so do you consider that getting right with god that's a big part of it yeah but I think you could be an atheist and still yeah. want to uh, be a good person, what? you know. But to me, no it's point. getting right with God. Yeah, it's you know you can't think, oh well, I, I'm getting away with this. Um, no, it, God sees everything you do and everything you are. 
you know, but you also have to be aware of everything you do and everything you are that I'm getting away with something. No, you're not. You're carrying that inside unless you're a sociopath and you have no conscience at all, you know, unless you're, uh, you know, I mean, I heard Bernie Madoff interviewed and he still has no conscience. He doesn't think he did anything wrong to those people and that they're all just fine. So maybe he isn't carrying any excess weight inside of him or maybe he's just not to the point where he can admit it to himself, you know? Sometimes there's a part of me that's jealous of that type of person so I don't have to think about and, and, and carry, probably, relatively speaking, small things. But I still carry them so it's bothering me. Yeah. So I know there's something that's not um, fluid, not... Yeah. Not completely connecting with, with, with what's outside me or, or we, what's we, within me. Yeah, We all have those. Yeah, But at least if you're aware of them and you deal with them, don't be jealous of, of somebody with no conscience. Yeah. You know, I think the, the Jared Lee Lofners of the world have no conscience. If he sits in court and he smiles and smirks, he yeah. has no conscience. And... Um, you have to be aware that we're all here, we're all brothers and sisters, we're all made of the same material. You know, when you break everything down, we're all little molecules and atoms, and the little trees and the, the dirt out there are made of the same exact atoms as us. We're all the same. Mm -hmm. And um, you can either kind of do your own little bit to try to make the world a little bit better or you can make it a little bit worse and it's already it can be bad enough you know you have to make a conscious decision and it's about growing too it's a mm -hmm. you know hey if if i can get to a point in my life when somebody says this this man is filled with a good heart and a good soul then I'll feel like I've accomplished something. So thanks for the time, man. That's okay, Frank. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Every time you get a chance to see Walter Trout, please do. He's not a rock star. But there's not a rock star worth his or her guitar playing salt that doesn't look up to this man. His career is peppered with the stuff made of legends. Big thanks for taking time to listen into this one. Thank you, thank you, thank you for reals. I know you're searching. Don't, don't stop. Keep on scouring lyrics and songs and movies and books and anywhere you can find inspiration. Because, and I know I'm still wrestling with this, you are worthy of love and a great life. Give and get. Listen in and share the goodness. I sign off sincerely, comma, Frank Jenks, questioner, interviewer, searcher, 
Hoper.